0: Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fat calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Their nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations acquire and his resting place shall be glorious this is the word of the lord thanks be to god Uh, so this is the second week of the advent season Uh, advent is a season uh, that is really a part of the historic tradition of the church but across the globe uh, the church slows down and considers what it was like to be the people in the old testament waiting for the coming of the messiah the coming of this one that was promised to them. The Messiah is this person spoken about in the Old Testament. And he's spoken about here in our passage. That's why this was chosen. And he really is the new true king of Israel. That was promised to them. A lot of Israel's hopes and longings, the things that they are hoping for in the future in the Old Testament, really hinge upon the coming of this Messiah or this king. Now, Christians believe that this Messiah has come and he has come in the person of Jesus and his coming or his Advent. We celebrate all throughout the Advent season. We celebrate it on Christmas. So Advent season is this ex- extended period of time where we just like celebrate and bask in the awesomeness that is Jesus. Right. How, how awesome is that? But secondly, Advent also lends itself quite naturally to be a time where we think and ponder about his second coming as well. For the Christian, right, yes, Jesus came once in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, but he's also coming again. And when he comes again to once and for all establish his kingdom here on earth, it will be awesome and glorious. And we hear a little bit about that in our passage uh, in Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to talk about both of those things tonight out of 11. His first coming and his second coming. And uh, with that, as an intro, we do have a really glorious passage. As Angie was reading it again to us, and there's just parts of me that I'm just like, yes, like, I want to just talk about this like all night until midnight when I don't have that long and you're welcome for not talking that long. Um, but it's full of, it's, I love that following because I love poetry and it's very poetic, right? There's a bunch of, Pictures and images of really cool things to think about and to be distracted by and spark our imaginations And we're going to walk through this passage just in three simple points the darkness The sunrise and the noonday. day. So we're taking notes That's the three points the darkness the sunrise and the noonday. day. So let's just dig in right the darkness So Isaiah 11 is is quite an awesome passage because it's about this king who is incredibly awesome in the passage. It's filled with this hope of a king that's going to have wisdom. He's going to be filled with the spirit. He's going to exact justice. He's going to punish the wicked. And his kingdom is one that's utterly filled with peace, right? There's like leopards lying down with goats. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds super cool, right? Filled with peace. And yet... Its context, the the context of Isaiah 11 and Isaiah's life is one where there's actually not very much hope except for the words here that are on the page. Isaiah lived and prophesied in a really tumultuous time in the history of God's people, in the history of Israel. He prophesied in a time where Israel just wasn't just one nation, but two nations. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So just in that, like a nation splitting in two, that's super tumultuous and crazy. Just because someone draws a line in the sand doesn't mean that you don't have friends and family and business to do with other communities on the other side. During Isaiah's life, the northern kingdom of Israel was actually conquered and taken off into exile by Assyria. That's discussed earlier uh, in the chapters of this book. And actually, though Isaiah prophesied more in the lower part of Israel, in Judah, they also had their own things to contend with. They had bad kings, like kings who didn't remove the idols, didn't remove the high places where people worship idols. and even had a king during Isaiah's time named Ahaz who actually sacrificed his own son on an altar to a pagan god. And to put sort of the cherry on the top of all of this darkness, Isaiah's job, part of his ministry, was actually to tell Judah and prepare them to be disciplined. Because they too were headed toward discipline in the, at the hands of Babylon. And that discipline is actually foreshadowed in our passage here in verse 1, where there's this picture of this stump. Right, this stump is a picture of Israel and Judah's discipline, because back in Isaiah chapter six, God actually has hewn down Israel in discipline because of their idolatry and their worship of idols. The, the stump of Israel is actually in a field of stumps, because actually in, in chapter ten, God has also hewn down the bunch of Israel's enemy. So it's like a sea of just stumps. That's the picture that Isaiah wants us to see. Now, I don't think that we really think about it a lot, but this is God, the divine lover, Jack. I don't think we think about that attribute of him very much. Uh, But this is a very dark and tumultuous time in the people of Israel's history. And it can feel very dark and hopeless as you have kings doing bad things and nations splitting and people going off into exile and and sons sacrificed to idols. Like, what a crazy time to be alive. And as I was trying to think through this, and what I would feel like if I lived there, it was very difficult for me to sympathize or for me to get into the story. So I thought of a different story that was very dark that I would like to share with you, which actually comes from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Love of the Lord of the Rings, the story actually comes from the second book, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And if you remember, half of The Two Towers... Uh, is about Gimli and Aragorn and Legolas. These are my main characters, if you haven't read the book or seen the movies, who are helping a people called the Rohan. The Rohan are in trouble because Isengard and Sauron are coming. This great, innumerable force of darkness is coming to attack them. So these people, the Rohan, they, they retreat to this place called Helm's Deep. Now, if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, you've probably seen a meme of Hell's Deep, right? It's like this fortress in the mountains, and there's this innumerable sea of really scary looking creatures in front of them, and it's raining and crazy, and the battle begins, and it goes pretty well for a while, right? last stronghold of strongholds within this fortress. And in this moment, all hope seems lost. And actually, when you watch the movie, it, like, they really are trying to get you to, to sense this, because you're know, like, the king hated, he's injured, and he's trying to address his wounds, and they keep cutting to all of the women and children in the caves who look like they don't know. They're, like, they're all crying, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? And the holding the door back as the enemy is trying to get in. And it is this moment in the story of just utter darkness and hopelessness. And in this moment, King Theoden looks like almost directly at the camera and says, what can men do against such reckless hate? And it's like in that moment, you're like transported into the room with him, and you're like, yeah, what can man do against such reckless hate? And so they have a lot of decisions to make. What are they going to do in this pivotal moment in their story? Are they going to give up and let the enemy in and just let everyone be slaughtered? Like, what are they going to do? Well, interestingly enough, what they do in the story is they all mount on their horses, and they ride out against the darkness. They... Right out against the enemy. And it is in this riding out, and it is at that time that Gandalf, the amazing wizard, at the sunrise comes over the mountain pass with a bunch of other horse dudes and the enemy is utterly decimated. But it was in this moment of darkness and utter loss and there's nothing that they could do that they defiantly write out. And I think this passage is a great Example of a very similar thing In a time in Israel's history Where there's so much Darkness and so much Craziness and chaos This passage Sort of shines out As defiant hopeful Poetry that not all hope Is lost Because the Messiah Is going to come And the Messiah is going to be Awesome so hold on to hope and this idea, this theme of light in darkness or light out of darkness is a super Advent theme. You think about in Christmas time, all the pictures of the nativity, right? All the pictures of the nativity are like Jesus in the manger and like Mary and Joseph and the, and the shepherds and they're like silhouetted against a starry sky, right? Right? Think about that. That comes from all of the stories, right, about the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus, right? The shepherds are keeping watch of their flocks by what? By night, right? In the dark, right? Or the wise men, they're, they're watching the stars, and the stars come out at what? At night, right? There's this idea that this baby, this hope of the world in Jesus comes in the dark. And it's so much so, a a theme of Jesus' coming, that actually John, in chapter 1, verse 5, describes Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness. Now, the world is a dark place. And we experience darkness in our own lives. And maybe we, too, have asked at times, man, like, where's, where's the hope? They empty room. true and we will live we live right now in what many call the already but not yet right his kingdom has already come but it's not quite like all the way here but in his second coming when the kingdom of the son comes and when it is fully realized it's going to be awesome and glorious and we hear echoes of that in Isaiah 11 so this light that is shining out of the darkness this light is the Messiah if it's Jesus What is Jesus like? And so this brings us to our second point, the sunrise. This passage is filled with amazing imagery. And I would just encourage you, when you read poetry in scripture, you're meant to be taken away by the pictures that the writers are using to spark your imaginations. They're there to help you, right? And in this passage, we have some really cool ones, right? We have like belts and and goats and leopards. cool stuff to be thinking about and pondering. And all of this is designed to help us kind of get it, right? At the start, let's remind us of the picture that we have in verse 1. We have Israel, the stump, the stump of Israel in a sea of stumps. Now, in my opinion, and I work a lot in in my yard and home, nothing ruins a landscape like a stump. And I've taken out many stumps. And buying name, they're not fun to take out either. Now I know that there's probably someone who's like, I follow an Instagram account where someone dresses up stumps, you know, as little men or something, and they're so oh. you know, but that's not what like the passage is trying to convey. <laughs> that's not what the image is trying to get us to see. You know, maybe for our context, it's like when you drive to Yosemite today, right? You go up to Yosemite to see the beauty of God's creation, it's amazing, it's immense, and you feel small, and it's like oh! But on the way now, you're confronted with huge scars and burn scars from wildfires. Where there was once life, there's now death. And this is what the image that God through Isaiah is trying to convey this sense of lifelessness. Where there was once this vibrant forest. And Israel was this tree within it with branches and cows, you know, the squirrels and the, and the birds and everything else is now a stone, is now lifeless. But Israel is not without hope. Because as we read in verse 1, out of the stump comes life. Let's read it again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. We're told that out of this stuff comes a shoot, comes new life. Where there was once death, now there's a hope of life. This shoot, this new life, comes from Jesse. Now it's not Uncle Jesse, okay, it's not John Stevens. For many of us, this might seem like a little bit of like a weird reference, but for those in Isaiah's time, they would have known, right? This is Jesse, this is King David's father. So what Isaiah is trying to say to the people that are listening to him and reading this is that this hope that is coming, this new life that's coming out of lifelessness comes from the line of King David, which for Israel meant all of the Messiah bells are like, right? Like, this is it. He's talking about the Messiah. Or in the New Testament, it's translated the Christ or the King. Now, what is he like? What is this king like? Right? If there's this light that's distilling the darkness, is the light better than the darkness? Right? What is he like? He actually, Isaiah spends the next section talking about what this king is going to be like. And this is the invitation of the Advent season, right? Our theme this year is behold him. So I would encourage you to behold him. To listen to the words of 2 through 5 and really like peer in and see what is this king like? And we don't have time to do like a deep dive into all that is here, and if there's a lot here. So I'm going to reread these scriptures to us. And there's something in the public reading of scripture that's powerful. And I'm just going to explain them briefly. But I think the, the accumulation of all of it helps us see Isaiah's. So let's read verse 2 again. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Messiah will come with perfect wisdom, being filled by the Spirit if you break down the phrases of this verse, there are seven individual phrases in this verse and seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection. What Isaiah is saying is that perfect wisdom is coming. And it's coming in the person of the Messiah. Verse 3 And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. The Messiah will come with perfect vision. He's not going to judge by what he sees or by hearsay, but his perfect wisdom will cause him to see beyond the physical and straight to the heart. And we see examples of this in Jesus' life. He like knows what people are thinking before they he knows their intentions. He knows their backstories, and he comes and he enters in and he judges by what he knows beyond just what he sees and what we can see. It's incredible. Or in the next verse, verse four, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Jesus' filling of the Spirit and reliance on it results in a kingdom that is inclusive and equitable. This passage or a that kind of sounds like Jesus is going to like cook down on the poor. But actually, in the original language, it's like he's going to align himself with the poor. When you couple perfect wisdom and perfect vision, what you get is perfect justice. You get perfect justice. And this is the kind of king. That is coming. And finally in verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The Messiah will do all of these things with perfect righteousness and faithfulness. So much so that they are the belt. They're the thing that holds the whole outfit together. This is the picture that he's trying to get us to see. Together. Now just think back to the darkness, right? Think back to the environment that Isaiah is living in. Evil kings making bad decisions, sacrificing their sons to pagan gods, being ousted out of authority and have their people taken off into exile because with, like, by foreign gods. Think of all of the craziness of how bad the leadership was ahead of them. And then we have Isaiah saying, one day, one day. The sun is gonna rise on a king and a kingdom who's gonna have perfect wisdom, perfect vision, and justice with righteousness and faithfulness. Yes, right? Verse 1 that we might have missed Let me read it again There shall come forth A shoot From the stump of Jesse And a branch from his roots Shall bear fruit All of this hope All of this expectation Is foretold to come from A shoot The hope of the world Is a little Vulnerable, humble Piece of life It's not big it's humble, and small, it's just a little shoot. I brought a picture to illustrate this, put it up on the street, right? This is the stump of just, right? You. you Google Isaiah 11, what? There's a million pictures about like this. It's pretty awesome. This has obviously inspired a lot of people, right? This, look at, like, I can just come by this stump and just pluck that little bit of life, that little shoot off the top. It's interesting that God, through Isaiah, decides to use this particular image. Because in the book of Daniel, which is not actually that far from Isaiah's time, there's a different messianic prophecy. And in that messianic prophecy, the Messiah is pictured as a giant rock that is literally hurled at the kingdoms of men and it completely obliterates them and is set up as a mountain. Of like stability and power And all things that are awesome And the Messiah is going to be great And maybe that's our picture Of the Messiah And yet here in our passage The Messiah is just this little Shoot out of the stuff And doesn't this ring true Of what we know About the Advent story The Advent story Think of the humility Of Jesus Think of the babe in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The hope of the world is a vulnerable baby in the arms of a teenager. Think of this justice and equity mission that Jesus is on. Tim Keller points out in a sermon on this passage that Jesus goes to great Actually, To align himself with the poor right? Jesus does not just saying I'm for the poor He actually just becomes poor He enters into poverty And we know this to be true Because Joseph and Mary Offered two birds as a sacrifice They couldn't afford a lamb They were too poor So Jesus comes from the poor He aligns himself in a, in, with the poor In such a way that he actually becomes it Himself He knows Where the poor and been. This sort of illustrates this idea that the kingdom of God isn't what you expect. The kingdom of God disarms our desire for power and position. The kingdom of God offers us something very different, something kind of magical in a way, mysterious, something very Christmas. Jesus' humility and humiliation didn't just stop at his birth but was finally punctuated in his sacrifice for us on the cross. The God, the king, comes, born as a baby, and ends his life humiliated on a cross. It's interesting, when you read uh, the book of 2 Kings, which kind of leads up to Judah being taken off into exile, the prophets keep telling the people, that they're going to be conquered They're going to be taken off into exile And the thing that they keep actually bringing up Is That these stories of like Ahaz And a later king named Manasseh Who sacrificed their sons To pagan idols It's almost as if when you read the narrative That it is the sacrifice of their sons That sort of broke the camel's back Of God's patience for his people But isn't it an interesting Reversal of history That it is God's only son who then is sacrificed so that all of the darkness of our sin can be undone. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty awesome. Pretty unreal. That is this king. This king that is spoken of who is awesome and crazy and amazing. Who's going to dispel the darkness with his light. Disarms us by coming as a baby and dying on the cross. But the story doesn't end there. So I want to spend the remainder of our time in the last point, the noon day. So as the sun rises to its peak in the noon day, and this light is shining, I want to ask some questions about the scope of his kingdom. Now, his scope, the scope of his kingdom is broad. So we're just going to focus on two two things. Who gets in, and how far does it go? The question that I I ask here is, is who did Jesus come for? Isaiah 11, our passage in verse 10, it says this. In that day, the root of Jesse, Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for the people's of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So, who gets in? Someone say me? It's you. Love it. The peoples and the nations. Actually, remember this passage, I can paraphrase in the book of Romans. We were at our time there. I'm sure everyone remembers, right? Romans 15, verse 12. Paul actually paraphrases this verse when he's talking about how the, the, the salvation of Jesus is even for the Gentiles. Because the scope of his kingdom, who gets in is the people, is the nation. The, the net is cast very, very wide. That means you get in, and I get in. That means the person outside the wall gets in. It's incredible. He so loved the world. The scope is broad of who gets in. But how far does it go? What is the end of this story like? Now, unlike those in Isaiah's time, we have the benefit during the Advent season of looking back, right, at the manger. Looking back at his first coming. Looking back at his perfect wisdom, vision, and justice. As we read the awesome, amazing stories in the gospels about jesus but yet not unlike those in isaiah's time we too are looking forward because jesus has promised to come again right he's promised to come again to dispel the darkness once and for all jesus promised to one day bring the new day light that would once and for all dispel all the darkness right so we like those in isaiah's time we look forward to the culmination of the story, the end of the story. As Isaiah's prophecy indicates in verses 6 through 9, the kingdom of the Messiah is headed toward one, not just perfect wisdom, vision, and justice, with righteousness and faithfulness. It's like, no, that's not enough. But perfect peace. When carnivores lay down with livestock, right? Wolves with lambs, leopards with goats, Lions with calves. Kids with snakes. Or maybe like more contemporary examples. Like Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans. Right? Like Republicans and Democrats. Right? Or even Giant and Dodger fans. Sitting side by side on a picnic in heaven. For the Christian, the continuing darkness of the world due to sin is not a problem. Without hope Just like this rebellious Defiant poem Struck out of the darkness of the past So too does it strike out And define the darkness of our time When there is darkness Struggle and suffering We have hope that one day He will come again And when he does The kingdom will be brought in its fullness The already but not yet Will be done away with And we will bask in the light of his glory forever, in perfect peace and safety, and in uninhibited worship together. Now, I want to end our time with a with, with a quote actually from our Advent Guide. So like shameless plug guys, Advent Guide. Download it today on the website. But it comes from this week's reflection actually, from a member here. Uh, her name is Ariel Chavez. This is what she says describing. This time in the future When the second coming comes She says this May we find a divine peace In receiving this word Eternity with God Will be bright and glorious The longing for our true home Our sufferings of sin And our communal groans Will be but a distant memory Upon Jesus' return Amen So if you feel like The darkness is closing in there's hope. Because the, the Messiah, the King is coming again. And that is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to praise. That is a reason and a cause for hope. Even in the darkest of times. Pray with me. Father,